The following podcast contains spoilers and pretty naughty language. We watch it. Hello everybody and welcome back to We Watched a Thing. It's the end of another year, another wonderful year. I don't think there's a person on earth who didn't have a fantastic 2021. I think we can all say that. It was it was epic. And uh, this year, for our top of the year list, Topher decided to ditch me because he didn't feel like he'd seen enough good films in 2021. So I reached out to one of my best podcasting mates, one of the biggest film bros I know. It's Sam Hurley from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. How you doing, mate? Hey, 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 everybody. Shirley in the house with the beat sizzle. What's <laughs> happening, mate? Yes, yes. Bringing some real energy to this bitch. I love it. <laughs> I'm all jacked up on coke and bourbon. <laughs> Mate, how you been, buddy? You how, How's your 2021 been? I've been great. This year hasn't been good, Billy. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I'm not going to dance around it. It's been a pretty shit year for, I think, a lot of people. Yes. I feel like a lot of us are over it. Yep. My final conversation with my boss before I left for the year was, I kind of feel like it's just been one year that's rolled into another. And he's like, yeah. Everyone's feeling like that. Yep. What a what a shitter. Yep. So I've got a I've got a beer aside for New Year's Eve from a New Zealand brewery, actually, from Garage Project, which is a fuck you 2021, which I'm very excited to smash on New <laughs> Year's Eve. Because last year they did the the fuck you 2020 and the fuck yeah 2021. This year they were smart enough not to bother doing a fuck yeah version because didn't work out this year. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Us Kiwis are generally quite humble, quite softly spoken, but at the same time, fairly optimistic, fairly like she'll be right. You know, that's our whole attitude <laughs> to life. It'll all work out. But uh, narrator basically saying, no, we were not right. It hasn't worked out. It's not going to work out. But I feel like we're getting a bit of realism finally injected into New Zealand. Yeah. But you know what? Let's let's get rid of the realism for a minute and let's get some optimism going because it's time to talk about how great this year was for film. And I, I've heard I've heard a lot of people say that this was not a good year for film. I, I have friends who think that this was a worse year than last year, which mm. I, I don't know about that. Where were you on 2021 no. in film? I think 2020 was a write-off. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. No major releases at the same time. What did get released was... Movies that no one had any faith in, you know, Netflix was just basically pumping out whatever they could get their hands on. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like this year has been a better year for films than last year. I wouldn't say it's been a great year, but at the same time, I'm the father of a two and a half year old, which has prevented <laughs> me from basically seeing a lot of films. And here's the other thing too. I mean, it's basically because of her. It's lucky if we get the chance to actually watch a film and record an episode on it. That's pretty much I'm floating at bare minimum now. So (laughs) to watch two or three films a week, to get to some of our local cinemas that show really artistic, independent, awesome films, haven't had had that much of a chance. But at the same time, we'll see. We'll see. I will mention at the end a couple of films that I know I'm going to love. That probably would have made my list, but we haven't got to yet. So yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll talk about it. Let's talk about it. That's that's the other thing. As we always do on this show, let's clarify up front that we are in the southern hemisphere. <laughs> so there may be some movies on our lists. There certainly are on mine that came out at the start of this year for us, but last year for a lot of the rest of the world. So don't add us and say that's a 2020 movie because we have to go on the release dates that we get because otherwise we'll never get to talk about some of these films and how good they are because we'll miss the yeah. cutoff. 
I, I love how you're saying don't at us. That's the 2020 film. Yeah, don't at me. That's the 2019 film. That's the 2018 <laughs> film. That's the 2017 film. Do you know what's going on here in New Zealand, guys? Everyone's talking about Matrix Resurrections. We only just got Matrix. You know? Come on, man. Give us a chance. <laughs> so, shall we crack into our 2021 lists? And then, as is tradition on this show, we'll go back in time 10 years and do our best of 2011 as well. Yep, which will be films from 1991 for me. So, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. So... Toph and I were always a bit loosey-goosey on this show, and when we did our top of the year list, we didn't always have an order. Have you ordered your five? I have ordered my five. I've done right. my five down to one. All right. Yep. I've got the same. So why don't you kick us off, and we'll go five to one through our best of the year. I am going to kick things off with a little indie film called uh, Come On, Come On, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Ah, yes. I haven't got to this yet. I, I've got it sitting there ready to watch. It came out only a few weeks ago, yes? Correct, yep. It's, uh, I managed to get to a screening. It's really good. The The reason why it slips down my list is for about three quarters of the film. You're like, wow, this is some awesome, high-quality, talented filmmaking. And then it sort of writes itself into a position where it's like, I don't really know where to end. And, you know, there's been a couple of films like that recently where I've loved them for so long. And then you sort of get to this natural point where you're like, you can end it now. But it's like, nah, we want to kind of deliver this punch at the end. So we need to, like, slow it down and drag it out to deliver that punch. And so... It's a good film, like, don't get me wrong, absolute awesome film. General plot is Joaquin Phoenix is basically almost an estranged uncle from his sister and her kid, and then her sister has some awry things happen to her, and as a result, he takes the kid out to New York and basically um, sort of takes him around the country a little bit and takes him on these jobs of his, because he basically interviews kids about how they feel about the world and where the future's going and stuff like that. Oh, right. I'd love to love Topher to watch this because there's so many child actors in this that I know he'd probably blow his brains out before the end of the first 15 minutes but uh, yeah it's, I really enjoyed it it's really good yeah right do you reckon it has any award potential yeah see this is the thing because when me because um, when, I, when I watched it I was like this is another great example of Joaquin Phoenix being at his best but winning it for the Joker you know like yeah. the master um, walk the line like there's been a her there's been a ton of roles where Joaquin Phoenix has just delivered in spades and this is another one he's very understated he isn't his normal sort of like manic on edge but there's there's still that hauntingness about him there's still that you know that that roughness about him but at the same time maybe maybe yeah Yeah. I I, the thing is I don't see it factoring into too many people's conversations I haven't really seen it blow up on film Twitter or anything like that so who knows it's funny there's a lot of films this year that really blew up on film Twitter that have just dropped totally off the radar since like there's a lot of like for example here being down under as i said we don't get a lot of movies we we haven't got for example spencer yet which Mm. made a huge swirl when it dropped in the uk about two three months ago and now seems to have dropped completely out of the conversation there's a lot of movies that like when they premiered at festivals I think Halloween Kills is a great example. People raved about that at festivals, and then as soon as it came out, the reception was terrible. <laughs> the problem I have that I think film Twitter has is that um, like some of these people get to go to advanced screening, so they're getting basically they plug the hell out of that film yeah. as almost like an F you, I managed to see this before everybody else. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. talk about this ad infinitum for about two weeks. And then in a month when this comes out and you guys will see it, I'm nearly a whisper out of it. <laughs> yeah. you know? it that's how it feels. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, my number five, I think is probably going to upset some people. It's the one kind of blockbuster on my list. It's the one movie that I know is not going to make anybody else's top of the year list this year. 
It's those who wish me dead. Did you see this film? I did. It was good. It was good. I didn't have it on my top five, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people did not like this for some reason. Written and directed by Taylor Sheridan, of course, who who wrote Sicario. And Mm. I just, I loved this movie. I think that this was a perfect blend of entertainment, but more than that, like this is a gripping film. Like I was gripped to the edge of my set. I ended up seeing this at the cinemas twice because I enjoyed it so much. And I was just enthralled the whole time. I think it has really good dose of fun, but very suspenseful at the same time. It was reminiscent to me of of kind of 90s action films. It it brought to my mind Cliffhanger. Mm. Angelina Jolie is fantastic in the film, and even the child actor is is good in it. I'm sure that when you hear my, you know, honorable mentions, you'll be pissed off that this was here in this list and those weren't. But I just have to be honest, I really, I really loved this film and had such a great time with it. Yeah, I found it good. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I found it enjoyable, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, Taylor Sheridan, Wind River, of a hit, I, I really enjoyed that one, for instance. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I love John, John Burnfall as well in this. He, he's good. Like, he always shows up, knows the assignment, delivers in spades, and then has the briefest of cameos and then basically just, you know, fucks off again sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Wouldn't have it too high, but yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, moves me over to my number four. And uh, look, you know, I've, I've, this is, uh, this has been long gestating for me. This is a property that I've loved since I was a kid, you know, an intellectual property that I've, I've uh, you know, been invested in, watched it change and evolve and mutate over the years. And then, Finally, we had this, and I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want. I'm, of course, talking about Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> no way. Just... No, you're not, are you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Look, I just loved Mortal Kombat. I loved Kano. I loved how he was the embodiment of hang every on, single no, wait, Australian I, I, Hang on, wait, wait, wait. I just, I just need to clarify. Is this actually yeah. your number four of film of the year? Absolutely it is. Wow. It's just... It delivers in spades. It's got fatalities like you want. It's got, you know, Apache storyline. <laughs> Topher says hello. Yeah, Topher says hello. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Topher says, it was me. <laughs> Fuck, I hated, I hated that movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, man. The, the one I'm hinting at was Spider-Man. <laughs> Far from home. Not this fucking shit. That's where I thought you were going. I mean, no, no way home, sorry. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going. <laughs> Absolutely, of course it was. But you know, when I was chatting to Topher about this, he's like, "You need to drop a Mortal Kombat on on Billy and just finish him." And I was like, "Yeah, I can do that. I can well, absolutely do that." You d- you did finish me because you you kept that going a lot longer than I thought you would. That's why I was convinced you were being serious. Good. That's the oh fuck! All right, Sp- no, look, Spider-Man: look, look. No Way Home. So this this is the Marvel film that cracked your five. Yeah, absolutely. Like I joked with you beforehand that I was just going to have a list that was just five Marvel <laughs> films. You know, the four MCU releases and Venom. But I can't do that to myself. <laughs> I, I can't just betray every single part of me like that. But um, now nah, this one it was it was everything I needed. It was a Tom Holland performance that I didn't know Tom Holland had in him. It was an Andrew Garfield performance that I also didn't know was in him. It was yeah. seeing some of the like, nostalgic reasons, seeing Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina back oh. and actually giving them like quite chunky roles as well. Yes, they, uh, uh, was, yeah. Dafoe was amazing in this film. Yeah, Dafoe absolutely brought it. I mean, he he hasn't gone away. He's been good since before the Spider-Man films. But yeah, he he. But there was just there was something about it in way like yes, there's a ton of fan service in it. Sure, I get that. There's some other parts of it that don't make any sense. We've talked about that on our podcast, and I, I refuse to lower my score. But I can't deny the fact that I'm a massive Marvel film, and this ticked so many boxes. 
Um, Tommy Maguire's showing up and, hey, I'm getting some money. This is great. And then disappearing, <laughs> acting performance aside. Rest of it, brilliant, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that, that this cracked your list. I, I had a lot of fun with it. And yeah, like I, as a Marvel nerd, I can understand why this is on your list for sure. Yeah. All right. My number four was probably like the the indie darling of the year that was, you know, anticipated by a lot of people. And then when a, when a lot of people saw it, they didn't end up loving it as much as they thought they would. And I was not in that camp. I'm talking about The Green Knight, which I absolutely oh, yeah. fucking adored. I thought that this film was stunning from start to finish. The cinematography is beautiful. Dev Patel is fantastic in this film. The screenplay is gripping and tight and full of so many different themes and, and it's nuanced. And I just, I loved this film. Did you end up seeing it? Yep. Yeah, I was in The Green Knight. Yeah, it was enjoyable. It's not a lot of, I definitely ranked higher than um, those who wish me dead or whatever. That yeah, yeah, like it was there thereabouts. Probably would sit about tenth or ninth for me. It was um, it was a very good film. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get on to your number three. Sweet as. Um, so yeah, I've loved Mortal Kombat since I was a kid, right? And so <laughs> you're gonna do this with every choice, and then it's actually gonna be your number one. <laughs> you stole my thunder. What the hell, Billy? Now, now that I've done that, you can't do it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, I can't. Absolutely can't. Uh, my number three is a German. I wouldn't. I call it a romance film. I wouldn't call it a rom com. It's called "I'm Your Man," and it stars Dan Stevens. And um, he actually learnt German for the for the film. And it's kind of a. It's an odd surreal film in which a basically a sort of um, not introverted but sort of socially awkward woman in her like sort of mid to late 40s basically takes home this robot who's basically been designed to be her perfect lover and then they they just basically fall into the sort of dark comedy yeah, slash right. romance type story it's it's very very unique did well in germany it hasn't really cracked too much of the international market yet but i i loved it it was adorable so, yeah right yeah. i haven't even heard of it yet so I'll, I'll add it to my list for sure yeah it's good yeah all right my number three is is another indie movie. It was the first movie that was filmed in Hollywood during the pandemic, starring John David Washington and Zendaya. I'm talking about Malcolm and Marie. Yes. Another very polarizing film. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. From memory, you enjoyed this film, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I loved it. I think they both gave awesome performances and it actually got cut from a list after uh, after a bit of a restructure. So, yeah. yeah got to, got to yeah. get Mortal Kombat in there. So, they, <laughs> that one got dropped. So, so it's, it's a bottle film that really just focuses on an argument between this couple uh, the night that he wins an award. And it it's, I mean, that's it. That's the that's the film. It's just, it goes from argument to argument and, and room to room in this one house as they just, you know, discuss their relationship. And it's just beautiful. It's, it's filmed in black and white. Doesn't need to be, but it adds so much to it. And yeah, you, I just think that as far as acting goes, they're not going to get nominated because this was too early in the year and people have moved past it. But I think that's a crime because Zendaya was sensational in this film. Yeah, she was she was absolutely outstanding. I mean, especially that one scene where she's, uh, like, spoiler alert, where she pretends to flip and then yeah. she just flips it back around. Yeah. I was like, man, this girl has got talent. She really, really does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great film. All right. Up to your number two already. We are. I am going to go with a Kiwi film that I know no one else in the rest of the world <laughs> has heard of. I'm going to go with The Justice of Bunny King. This is an incredibly harrowing film in which a woman living in poverty is desperately trying to get her kid back. 
Um, the stars Essie Davis, who people know from The Babadook. Yeah, right. Yeah. And maybe this is why I've got it so high, is it's the first time I've seen somebody pull off a New Zealand accent without sounding like they're uh, got something stuck in their throat. Like <laughs> it's great. It's a great film. Very harrowing. She is just absolutely outstanding. She's a national treasure of yours that you guys should be respecting the hell out of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she, really I liked mean, her. I love The Babadook. I'm a huge Jennifer Kent fan. I loved The Nightingale as well. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That's good too. I'm going to have to check this out. What's it called again? The... The Justice of Bunny King. So okay. she plays Bunny, uh, yeah, a woman who's trying to get a kid back. Thomason McKenzie is in it as well. Oh. She plays her uh, niece. Yeah. All right. Consider it on the list. It was very good, although it was a film that me and my wife went to see, and I basically said to Stacey, I was like, look, let me take you out to the movies tonight. <laughs> not going to tell you anything about it. Heard this is kind of a good black comedy. And then we got there, and it's not a black comedy. It's just a harrowing drama about a mother trying to get her daughter back. And I was like, oh, oh kids back, I should say. And I was, Stacey the whole time was just like recoiling in horror. And I was like, oh, God. And it's in New Zealand as well. So it's like, it's just double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. My number two is actually one that you and I have already spoken about. Uh, oh, I know what this is. Because it's Nicolas Cage and a pig, my friend. It's pig. It is. <laughs> the- Dropped off my list. Yeah, the the story that everybody thought was going to be a John Wick ripoff and is absolutely nothing like that. It's a quiet drama about grief as Nicolas Cage plays a truffle farmer whose pig gets stolen and he travels to the big city trying to get him back. And it's just a really quiet, thoughtful, lovely movie. Nicolas Cage is fantastic in it. Actually, I was doing my schedule for next year and I saw the... uh, the unbearable weight of talent is coming out in, I think it's either March or April. So I've, I've penciled you in for that. If you're all absolutely, I will be back for that. Um, (laughs) But I absolutely adored this film and I would recommend this to absolutely everybody. And it just, it stayed with me. I've, I've watched it once more since it came out and we spoke about Mm. it. And I just think it's just a really beautiful touching film that at times is quite sad. At times can be kind of funny, and I just think it blends it all really well. It's um, it is a really good film, like we discussed on your episode. And it easily, if you'd put Adam Sandler in this and just you know gave the plot, you go, oh yeah, that's an Adam Sandler film. You know what I mean? Like a truffle hunter, yeah, has his pig stolen, so he goes on a revenge, or well, you know, tries to track it down. And you're like, what the, you know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> any, but yeah, I mean, really good film, absolutely really good. Would probably be my seventh or eight. It was, it was in my top five when it started, and then. Slowly been bounced down where I've started looking at these and going, well, I enjoyed you more. I appreciated what that did more. Yep. You know, it's, yeah, it's been a tough. It's been tough. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, here we are at then, our, our number ones. Yeah, this is a film that did come out this year in New Zealand. I don't think I've checked to see if it came out in 2020 in America or Britain or whatever, but uh, The Father. The Father. Ah, I'm going with that. Excellent. Yep. I, I believe it did come out 2020, the rest of the world, because I believe it snagged an Oscar or two. Um, yeah, but yes, it was definitely it was definitely 2021 here as well. I haven't got to it yet, but I know that Topher adored this movie too, and I've heard several people talk about how great it is. Anthony Hopkins is meant to be exceptional in it. Oh, he is just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we already know how much of a good actor he is, and same with Olivia Coleman. Oh, I love like, Olivia Coleman. Yeah, I absolutely love Olivia Coleman. Ever since she was in the British version of The Office for all of one episode, <laughs> <laughs> always thought that she's been a great. Olivia Williams is also really good in it. Um, Imogen Poots. I can't stand Imogen Poots, but in this she's like pretty good. But I mean, admittedly they're playing, you know, sort of little bit roles. 
And it really just rests on Anthony Hopkins and, to a lesser extent, Olivia Coleman giving performances of their lifetimes. And they are. They're just they're absolutely outstanding. And it was just, from start to finish, it was one of these films that, like, after it ended, I was like, I need to ring my mum. <laughs> like, me and Stacey walked down to our local mall that have a, has a theatre in it. And we watched it. And then we were walking back. And she was like, you're right. And it was, like, four in the afternoon or something. Because the only session that it was on during the entire week that had just been released was, like, two o'clock on a Saturday. And I was just, like, walking out there just... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that it's... Deeply affected. I've heard it's yeah. pieced together in a really interesting way as well with the the way the Alzheimer's stuff comes together with, you know, different uh, actresses or something. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the interchange actors, actors and actresses to play different roles and you know he's the absolute definition of unreliable narrator yeah like you've got no idea what's going on it's such a good film so good yeah it's very high on my watch list I, I sadly haven't gotten to it yet um my number one is also a film that definitely came out last year in the rest of the world won awards but we only got it at the early end of this year it's a film that got several hyperbole sandwiches on your show <laughs> it's promising young woman which i fucking loved yep so this easily would have been either one or two but stacy actually went and saw it like a special screening on the 10th of december here in new zealand yeah so right it was like just just missed it because it was wide released here on the 6th or something like, yeah. similar to you guys yeah 6th of january but yeah 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 i i loved this film so much it's a story of revenge about a, a girl whose uh best friend is raped and subsequently kills herself and she makes it her mission basically to hurt men who who treat women badly mm. and but it sounds so dark and it is dark but it's also absolutely hilarious which is so hard to do with a subject matter like this the cast yeah. is exceptional the writing and direction is absolutely stunning it deserved every award it got and and more and it is with a bullet from the moment I saw it back in January, it was my number one film of the year and it stayed there from mm. back then. I just, I loved this film. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. As you mentioned, two of the people that were on our podcast gave it hyperbole sandwiches. Uh, they were both women, and so I felt incredibly terrible for being the realistic guy that didn't give it a score over 10,000 out of 10,000. Did you, like, did you really mansplain to them why it didn't deserve a 10,000? Uh, well, first I had to explain to them what mansplain means, and then after I'd done that, I mansplained to them. But, but no, nah, I mean, like in, in hindsight, I could probably should have given a hyperbole sandwich. There was just one or two scenes that sort of dragged it down that wasn't um, all that polished that didn't necessarily need to be in there. But I mean, sorry, this is nitpicking. Yeah. This is nitpicking, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just, a, just a, a, a near perfect film for me. And it would have been my top of last year as well had it come out here last year. But mm. yeah, it was Jan 7, I believe, that it got wide release here. So yep. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yep. Great film. All right. There was a film that I went and saw with two of my mates, um, Machu and Kahu, that's on the podcast, and we all walked out and was like, right, right, boys, who's keen to never talk about that on a podcast? And they were all resoundingly keen never to talk about it on a podcast. All right. Well, as is tradition on this show, one thing that we've always done, and this is this was an idea that Topher had, which I believe he stole from somebody else, some article he read, that the only way to really judge a film is to look at it 10 years later and see what has stuck with you through that time. So, so how do you feel about hopping into our top five of 2011 then? Oh, nah, I'm <laughs> off. I'll see you later. Well, too bad, so mate. Keen, too bad. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here anyway. All right. Yeah, well, let's do this. Since, since you kicked off 2021, I'll get into 2011. 
my number five is a film from one of our shared favorite directors. Yes. I know that he's made films that you've loved. I know that he's made films that we've both hated. And I don't know. Do you want to have a stab at what this film might be? I don't know how you feel about this film. Are you talking about Red State? I'm talking about Red State. Red State is my number five for 2011. I think that this was the last really great film that Kevin Smith made. I think John Goodman is fantastic in this film. I think this film has the... This was the film that really showed me that Kevin Smith could actually direct rather than just Mm. write. And it's a real shame that this is the last great film he made. Because I think this showed he's got the potential... Um, but it's, it's a really, you know, he clearly has the timing down to do a good horror. I, I spoke about Tusk recently for my patrons as a patron request. And I think that movie has its moments. Um, it doesn't, it's not great overall, but Red State for me is just a really great film. The cast is amazing. The, the screenplay is tight. Do you like this movie or no? I, I do. I really enjoy it. Like you're right. It's the last really good film of his. I mean, we were just talking about the year that's been, and um, he's very fortunate that Space Jam came out because <laughs> otherwise, Jane Silent Bob reboot might have been my worst film. Well, you know what? 2021. Topher so, never yeah. let me do worst films because he thought it was mean. But let's do it since it's us. So how about we do our worst films after this? <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. That, I mean, I've, I've spoiler alert. There we go. Space Jam. No, no don't go see it, people. It's yeah. <laughs> The, f- the first ever um, movie on our podcast to ever get a negative score out of 10,000. That's, yeah. that's how bad it is. By a man who then went to rewatch it th- like two or three more times. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with him. I don't know what's wrong with him. I'm, I'm talking about Machu. I don't know what's wrong with him. But, but great pick. Great pick. Um, the one for me, yeah, I mean, Michael Shannon running around, telling, having premonitions about how the world's going to collapse. And, you know, shit's going to go sideways. A lot of people think, hey, you're talking about Man of Steel. Wrong. I'm talking about Take Shelter, a 2011 film in which Michael Shannon does that. He has premonitions about the world ending. And it's a bit of a slow burn is one way to describe it. Bit of an acting powerhouse from Michael Shannon. It's just, it's it's a deeply affecting film to the point that I've only watched it once since it came out. Like all, all the rest of my list, I've probably watched about 10 times each. But this one I've only seen twice. But I was going to say, I definitely saw this at the time, but I don't really have a great memory of it. Maybe I need to give it a rewatch. You do. You do. Shannon is just is just phenomenal. Like He just brings the menace, just brings that you know harrowed menace. Like As much as we talk about Joaquin Phoenix previously like having that sort of edge to him, like Michael Shannon has it in spades, but in a, like an aggressive sense, you know, like he, he an outwardly does, aggressive yeah. sense. Like he's just, he's just phenomenal. Like you can, you can see this was his, basically his test footage for Zod. We get yeah. that. Absolutely get that. But yeah, this is just outstanding. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, number, my number four has some of the best visual effects I've ever seen across this trilogy. It's rise of the planet of the apes. Mm, yep, yep. Which is yep, not, well. not actually my favorite, favorite of the planet of the apes films but a really great film nonetheless i mean i think that this entire recent trilogy has been fantastic i think dawn was great i think um war was really really good but i think this one's right up there as well just a a good fun solid flick with great visual effects great cast great direction really fun yeah i agree i agree uh the second and third film sort of blend into one for me, but that was probably by design. It's not yes. a bad thing. Like they're, they're both very good films. Whereas yeah, the first was, 
you know, a little bit different, had a little bit more of a humanist, human yeah, story. Yeah, and that is so. my favourite, I think, of the yeah. trilogy. I, I do enjoy Dawn the best, but yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, good choice. Good choice. My number four, yes, I'm going to bring up a Marvel film. I'm going to go with X-Men First Class. And Right. There was, I've not there was, seen it, actually. Oh, okay. Well, let me just wax poetic about how <laughs> when... When they announced this, I was like, I, I never really liked the original X-Men team. And like, admittedly, this is nowhere near the original X-Men team. But sort of those earlier comics in the earlier 60s period was a little bit too goofy. And then when they announced that old the FAS was going to be um, was going to be Magneto and James McAvoy was going to be Professor X, I was like, I, I don't know if I'm behind this. FAS gave an amazing performance in another film that might get brought up. But he... And then obviously he was great in Glorious Bastards. And then he came into this and just basically said, yeah, everything McKellen did, I can do just as good. And yeah. McAvoy did the same with Patrick Stewart. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is in this as well. Don't really need to say too much about her, but like the, the film itself strips it back to its roots. Uh, it's the only one that Brian Singer didn't direct that's really good, aside from Logan. I don't know how you feel about that, Billy, but I'll <laughs> move on. But it's like the only the only other X Men film that I'm like I've, I've seen multiple times, you know. And yeah, right. Yeah, and I think it's really buoyed by the fact that they have Magneto running around murdering Nazis. Like it's just so gripping and brutal, and you know, it adds this undercurrent to this sort of youthful enthusiasm of hey we're mutants we're gonna be a superhero and then you've got this dude just walking around just like murdering nazis with former weapons it's yeah such a good film it is one that's been on my list i've heard several people talk about how great this film is i know that for most people it's their favorite x-men film so yeah it's been on my list for ages yeah i mean aside from logan because i don't feel like that is an x-men film if we're just talking about x-men properties it'd probably be days of future past then x-men 2 and then this like yep but even then, this and X-Men 2, mm, jostling for position. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. My number three is a film that, from memory, I'm certain that you very much love as well. And I, I don't know if it'll crack your list, though. It's a real blend of genres. It's a horror. It's a comedy. It's The Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> yeah. See, I struggled with putting this on my list because it would have been number two. Easily would have been number right. two. Yeah. But then when I looked at it, like the release was a- but number one, one screening in like December, and then it didn't get wide yeah. released around the world till April 2012. So I was like, Yeah, okay. Do you count it? I, so, I went yeah, back. Yeah, well, forth. this is yeah. so when Topher and I have done our 2011 films, we've always just gone by IMDb release date, which yep. for this yep. film is showing 2011. So that's what we've gone off. Which is fair. I, yeah, I. I love this film. I think it's it's a lot of fun. It's scary when it needs to be. It's really funny when it needs to be. It's sharp satire. I think horror is a genre which lends itself to satire really, really well. Like, you look at Scream, which I think still holds up tremendously, and I personally cannot wait for Scream 5 in yeah. about a month's time. Yeah, I just I, I love this film. I think it's really, really good. Yeah, easily, as I said, would have had it number two. Another one that was piping for the position of top five would have been Dale and Tucker versus Evil, which is also yeah, a yeah. very similar meta horror comedy that I would have... Um, that I'd probably easily have in my top ten, I'll put it that way, so yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things... It's it's. I know it's hard at the moment because... Joss Whedon obviously is he's a renowned scumbag at the moment so it's <laughs> yeah. it's hard to talk well of him but I think you know it, it's like having a Brian Singer film or a Kevin Spacey film on a list yeah. like you kind of just have to separate the art from the artist and I just think that this film is really good <laughs> absolutely uh, my next film is a very much a Marmite film either you love it or you hate it 
I've always thought it was amazing. I always thought it was great. And then I discovered the internet doesn't necessarily <laughs> agree with me. I'm going to go with Drive. Ryan Gosling. Yeah, right. Like very stoic, non-talking, just uh, stunt car driver slash, yeah. you know, getaway man type thing. And yeah, just, I don't know what it is about this film. I don't know if it is the fact that he doesn't talk, you know, it's the cool jacket. Yeah, I just, I just there's something about it that I just find awesome, you know, like Brian Cranston as well is in it. He's really good. And um, yeah, I mean, Nicholas Wind. Winding Riffin, whatever his next film, Only God Forgives. I mean, I, I just said Marmite film. Like, there's a film that everybody hates. Whereas, like, I feel for this one, you just saw so much talent, so much promise of, like, holy hell, this guy has got, like, an amazing eye for direction. Who mm. knows where he's going to take this? And then, I, yeah, this film for me, easily rewatchable. As I said, probably seen about 10 times. Just love it. Yeah, it is a very polarizing film. I think a lot of people were expecting more action, and it is a very slow, pondering film, which. It takes a certain kind of audience member, I think. It does. It does. Like, if you are some people that I'm merely thinking of, like, if, if you, you just love action films, like that's all you want. I didn't like that film, didn't have enough action scenes in it, which for me, if, you, if you're listening to this and that's the type of person you are, maybe completely ignore my first fight. Because <laughs> 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 none of them, are, aside from Spider-Man, are very action heavy, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So same. I mean, I feel like a lot of people wanted that, but at the same time, like when when the action scenes in this hits, like there's there's one particularly brutal scene involving Christina Hendricks where it was just like, whoa, you know, like it just completely blew you away that it yeah. just had that much more of an emotional and uh, you know like mental punch that you're like, wow, this is this is intense, and so yeah, loved it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, my number two is a film that when I first saw it back in 2011, I actually didn't like it that much. And this is where I have to agree with Topher that revisiting something 10 years later helps. I've rewatched this film about four times since then and liked it more and more each time. The most recent time I watched it was, you know, about six months ago during this whole pandemic. And that'll make sense in a minute because this film is contagion. (laughs) Wow. And (laughs) when I first saw this movie, I really disliked it. I, I don't know what it was, but I just I, re- I walked out thinking, well, that was a bag of crap. And yeah. then I rewatched it about two years later, and I was surprised to realize how much I enjoyed it. And I've rewatched it at least three times since, and I just think it is a very, very, very good film. I think when it first came out, I was a bit blown away by the massive cast that was in it, and so I was expecting a bit. A bit more from it, you know, like I like I was just saying with Drive. I think maybe I expected a bit more action, and this is another one that's a very slow film, really. But I just think Soderbergh's direction in this film is really fantastic, especially when you look back at it at the moment and just the accuracy that is in this yeah, film, yeah. which at the time is why people thought it was dull because the whole film is about social distancing and like, but like. That is, there's something incredible about the accuracy of this film, I think. (laughs) That was one of the hardest parts. I mean, especially during some of these lockdowns we've had is to go on Netflix and see like the top 10 most watched films or the top 10 most (laughs) popular films in New Zealand. And in there is like Contagion, Outbreak and 12 Monkeys. And you're (laughs) like, come on, man. (laughs) Do we really need a reminder of this shit? Come on, New Zealand. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. Steven Soderbergh films, for me, typically the first time I watch them, I'm like, eh, you know, it was good, but it was fine. 
you know, and then just not thought too much of it. And then the rewatch is like where it gets you. Ocean's Eleven's a great example of that. Watched that yep. when it first came out with all my mates, went to the movies, all saw it, all walked out of it, and were like, that wasn't Reservoir Dogs, that wasn't Pop Fiction, that was <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> yep. You know, and then, yeah, on, on, on hindsight, it's pretty good. Whereas, quite funnily, like the, the one that I remember everyone going, this is amazing, and then watched it, then rewatched it, and was like, oh, it's pretty average, was side effects. I remember the first time I saw that, and I was like, this is really good. And then watched it again recently, and I was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. On to me for my number two, and this has uh, this is my favorite Brad Pitt performance, and it's also Topher's favorite Brad Pitt performance, as we discovered as we were messaging each other sweet nothings until late into the night last <laughs> night. I'm talking about a film which established Jonah Hill as a dramatic actor as well. I'm talking about Moneyball from 20 Yeah, yep, yep. Big film from that year. A massive film. One that I saw at the time and walked out thinking, I'm pretty sure I really like that film. You know, it was like a weird yeah. feeling of like, can't stand baseball. think Brad Pitt's too much of a pretty boy. Walked out of that film and thought, baseball's kind of interesting. Brad Pitt, <laughs> he knows how to act. He's actually quite a good actor. And so... Yeah, I mean, obviously he'd been in other stuff like Seven and Fight Club and all that sort of stuff, but um, yeah. that was the one that solidified for me was just taking this man who, like, by all extents, is just an absolute beefcake of a man, and to have him washed up, to have yeah. him, you know, be washed up into this managerial role and, uh, you know, yeah. come to grips with the realisation of who he was as a player as well as, you know, as an undercurrent running through this horrible situation where he's trying to make a team out of nothing. Yeah, it's just such a good film. Such a good film. Who knew maths could be exciting? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like Beautiful Mind, another great example. <laughs> but yeah, he um he is definitely one of those actors that was done a disservice by how pretty he is. The same thing happened to Leo. There was a long time yeah. where people underappreciated his acting skills because like, oh, he's a pretty boy. And he was in films like Romeo and Juliet and Titanic, where he's, you know, very much a romantic lead. It's like, you know, there was a time where Brad Pitt's job was to show up and show himself shirtless like in Thelma and Louise <laughs> but yeah I, I agree I think he's he's a really great actor like you know I didn't love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood but he was exceptional in that film he was really what made that film work at all for me yeah um, I, I think it got pointed out to me that he's basically a character actor in a lead leading man's body and yeah face. and and it is true because when you start looking at his like best performances the roles that normally you would give to a Paul Giamatti or a Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know, they're like quite odd out there, unusual roles that he yeah. absolutely crushes in. So, yeah. All right. Well, number one is a bit of an odd one. It's not one that I expected to be here when I started making this list. And it's just one that slowly rose to the top as I realized, yeah, I really, really like this movie. It's a romantic comedy. It stars Ryan Gosling. Oh, God. Steve Carell, Emma Stone. <laughs> it's crazy, stupid love. I did not expect this movie to first make this list, second be this high. But I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I love this movie. I think it's so much fun. It, it's definitely the film from 2011 that I've seen the most times. Okay. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome. But I I enjoy the crap out of this movie, my friend. I, I, I take it from your laughs that you're not a fan. No, this is a really good film. Don't get me wrong. This is like surprisingly <laughs> good. And we rewatched it maybe a year or two ago. Love yeah. Julianne Moore, by the way. She, she's oh, awesome yeah. as well. She's great. Yeah. 
Um, but the, the the funny part for me was like I was halfway through messaging Topher of like, here's what I reckon Billy's 2011 film is going to be, and I was like, number one's going to be Crazy Stupid Love, just it's totally going to be there. I didn't hit send because we started, you know, I dropped into this meeting room and we obviously started chatting. I was that close to sending it. I'm pissed off. That's why I laughed because I was like, I know this guy well. I reckon this is his number one film. We do know each other well. You, do, I mean, we've been we've been friends for a good couple of years now. You mm. you were our first guest on the show, and since Topher's left, I've had you on the most times easily yes um <laughs> yeah i i had a couple of honorable mentions and some of them nearly made this list but i just i don't know this film just kept climbing higher and higher i think it's really funny it's really sweet i think the cast is fantastic i i'm a massive steve carell fan and i think that he has so much humanity in him yep. you know I, I know that you're a watcher of the u.s office as well yeah and i think that he was there was nobody else for that Role like I I I'm a massive fan of the original Office with mm. you know Ricky Gervais as David Brent, but you know Michael Scott's a completely different character. There is more humanity to him, and I think that most of that comes from Steve Carell. I think he it's hard not to love him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And like even it, like it's a big call sort of thing, but maybe would be in my top ten like. Funniest scenes from the 2010s would be the one where Ryan Gosling shows up to the dinner party and they haven't worked out that <laughs> yeah. he's the guy that's dating his daughter. And then when they do work it out, it's just like, this is pretty good. This yeah. is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's that's my top five. What's your number one? My number one is my favorite action film from the 2010s. And that's uh, a big call given you know how much I love Fury Road. Shout out yeah. to you and Paul doing that recently. <laughs> and finally uh, redeeming yourself there a bit, Billy. I, I, I did redeem myself, hopefully. <laughs> just just slightly. Just a little bit. Uh, but no, it's The Raid. It's The Raid Redemption. The, right, the yeah. Raid is number one with a bullet by miles. Like, Action films through the 2000s stagnated. You know, we had Gladiator turned into the Dark Knight. Like, we had a couple of, like, action films. But then this one just came out of nowhere where they went, hey, you know what? Let's get rid of the the million cuts to, you know, make Liam Neeson look like he's actually doing something brutal. Let's get away from the shaky cam that Jason Bourne's been doing. Like, let's get away from all of that. Let's actually take a proper martial arts star, chuck him in this film, and make him do the most craziest stunts we can think of. Let's take an incredibly basic plot. You know, a bunch of guys go into a building – Turns out to be a trap. They've got to fight their way out of there. Is that the plot to punish a war zone? Yes. Is that the plot to dread? Yes. Is that the plot to the raid? Yes. But it's so execute. It's it's executedly so brilliantly in this film. Again, a film that I've like I'd said I've seen all these films ten times, hundreds of times. I've lost count. This yeah, is yeah. yeah. I don't know how I came across it, but I've came a lot to this film. It is that good. Like mentally came, I should say, not, not physically, <laughs> but maybe. Um, but it's just it's just that good. I just oh, I could talk about it for hours. The fact yeah. that that there are uh, listeners of this that listen to movie reviews and Twitter cues, you might go if you if you love this film so much, Sam. Why have you never done an episode on it? Well, here's a little bit of an insight. When we decided to wrap up the podcast, I'm going to drop my top ten favorite films of all time that I haven't done yet. So that's yeah. going to be up there. This is just such a brilliant film from start to finish. Absolutely love it. Yeah, nice, nice. Yes. That's awesome. Oh, so so excited. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my plans are probably the same. It, it's kind of it's kind of sad that now I've I've done so many of my top ten films because my top film was The Princess Bride, which we did as yep. a patron request. Then was when Topher was leaving, I did Jurassic Park, which was my number two. Um, I mean, I'm not going to spoil now what my number three is, but 
maybe you'll be the guy to do it with me when we when we get there. Ooh, hello. <laughs> yes. Don't worry, I know, bro. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, do you have any honorable mentions for either of these lists? Uh yeah, I've gone through my other ones for the um for the first one. The only one that was really fluctuating in and out is another film I've seen a lot. Like I've seen it more than Take Shelter, so it was vying for that position. And it's source code. And that was another film where I was like, hey, that Gyllenhaal kid's pretty good in Donnie Darko. And then yeah. throughout the rest of the 2000s, I was like, ah, you know, like, he's right. But then that one was just like, whoa, this guy, this guy's awesome. And like, you know, sure enough, when Nightcrawler comes out three years later, I'm like, yep, there it is. There's yeah. those acting, acting talents I was expecting. Yeah. yeah, Nightcrawler was a fantastic film. Yeah. And Enemy as well, which you guys have talked about recently. He was really good on that too, which is roughly yes. around the same time. And prisoners. So that's a good yeah. run from Gyllenhaal. Holy shit. Re- really great run. And Enemy Holy Prisoners hell. were the same year. Yeah. That's insane that Villeneuve made both Enemy and Prisoners in the same year, with both with Gyllenhaal, both giving fucking brilliant performances. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've just had a couple of- I mean, my biggest honourable mention, which I really wanted to put- on my top of this year list, but it didn't feel right because it's not really a movie, is Bo Burnham's Inside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Easily the thing I've watched the most this year. I've I've watched it five or six times. It's better every time. From a filmmaking perspective as well, as someone who, you know, this is my job to film and edit and visual effects and lighting. It's, it's staggering the beautiful look that he was able to get filming this by himself and the amazing lighting setups he does it's just it's so cool i i haven't finished it i've tried yeah put it that way i've tried not it's not for everyone i know there are some people who just really dislike it but i'm one of these sort of weird um i don't know what it is like music's music and movies are movies you know and when it's a musical movie i'm like oh no thanks Thank you so much for joining me for this. It's always awesome when you're on. And I couldn't, th- when Topher said that he didn't think he'd seen enough movies for this year, I couldn't think of anybody else other than you to join me. So thanks oh, thank so much you. for that. Everybody knows at this point, but humor me anyway. Where can people find Movie Reviews and 20 Qs, which is one of the best podcasts out there? If you're not already listening to it, then you're just dumb, quite frankly. But that is true. That is absolutely <laughs> If people aren't listening, where can they find it? Yeah, just search movie reviews and 20Qs out everywhere. Uh, we take a film, we ask 20 questions about it, we see what comes out. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's deep poignant, sometimes it makes you think. <laughs> you know, that's about it. And um, yeah, I mean, you can go over there and listen to my... We, we actually did 20Qs about my favourite film of this year, which was Mortal Kombat. We did that back when that came out. <laughs> so if you want to go back and have a listen to us ask questions about that film... One yeah. of the worst films of the year for me, easily. <laughs> Funny you say that. It did bring up the highlight of the year for me, which was that we tracked down the original Mortal Kombat guy. And we yes, managed, that's we managed right. You to got get him to... Yeah. We managed to get him to... to to introduce our episode which was just like the most surreal experience of my uh, of my entire life because i can't count the millions of times that me and my mates ran around the schoolyard screaming mortal Kombat" <laughs> and then trying to fatality each other that's pretty amazing a lot of teabagging a lot of teabagging fatalities <laughs> a ton of teabagging fatalities all right well thanks heaps man this thursday um Nusk and i will be talking about don't look up which i saw that you liked it but yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people aren't liking it. But I'm expecting I will actually. The film Twitter's going windy about it, and it's like 
I don't know what you're expecting. Like, it's a satire. You know what I mean? Like, the, of course yeah. they're like... And next week, I'll be joined by M from Verbal Diorama talking about her favourite film of all time, The Mummy, which Ooh. I think she's she's also done on your show, right? She has. She has. She came up against the the one woman wrecking ball that is Liz, who didn't like The Mummy and Whoa. was not kind. <laughs> gave, it, gave it a shit sandwich. Gave it less than 5,000 out of 10,000 and wow, didn't hold fuck. back on M and they haven't spoken to each other since, so... <laughs> Well, I, I still need to get Liz on, on this show because I, I love Liz. I'm a big fan of Liz, so I'll, I'll be hitting her up soon. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and I'll catch you next week. Go have a cinematic experience. <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs>